Hey, friend, thanks for listening to the Compare to Who show. I'm Heather Creekmore. Glad you're here. We have an awesome episode today. I am so excited about this, y'all. It It's just so, so good. So today I'm talking to Travis Stewart. We're continuing this image and personality theme, the series we're in, but Travis is going to help us look at how our personality or some of these core motivations, fears, those sorts of things connect to body image issues and food issues. So let me tell you a little bit about Travis. Travis Stewart's been mentoring others since 1992. He became a licensed professional counselor in 2005. His approach is relational, creative, and he helps people understand their story while also building hope for their future. He has a wide variety of experience with issues that might lead people to seek out professional help. This includes special interest issues like compulsive and addictive behaviors, internet and video, game addiction, eating disorders, shopping addiction, and spirituality. He was a visionary for the annual Hungry for Hope Conference, which is a faith-based conference that provides training and help for both professionals and lay people in the treatment of eating disorders. He's a regular consultant to Finding Balance, which is a great friend of Compared to Who, and he's spoken at schools all over the country. Travis graduated from the University of Nebraska in 91 with a degree in advertising, but immediately began working with the International Ministry, the Navigators, mentoring students. After eight years, his desire to better understand how people change, and through his own experience of receiving help from a professional counselor, Travis decided to return to school. He earned a Master of Arts in Counseling and a Master of Arts in Theological studies, both from Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. He's a licensed professional counselor in the state of Missouri. And you guys are going to get so much out of our conversation today. I can't wait. Share this episode with the friends. This is going to be two parts. So there's going to be today and then Friday's episode. They're both so good. So plan on sharing them with friends because ah, you're going to learn so much. I, I won't say any more. Let's just get to it. Here we go. Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compare to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. Travis Stewart, welcome to the Compared to Who show today. Thank you. So good to be with you. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation. Like everyone in my circle of eating disorder, recovery, food freedom folks, everyone's like, have you talked to Travis yet? Have you had <laughs> Travis on the show yet? Do you know Travis? And I'm like, no, no, I don't know Travis. Who's Travis? And so finally, we got to connect a couple of months ago. Yeah. And I'm grateful because I have been looking for someone to come on the show and talk with me a little bit about the ways eating disorder, body image issues affects 
people with, and I'm going to just use this term personality with people with different personalities in slightly different ways. And so that's where we're going to go today. Travis, I'm excited to have you on the show to talk about this. Let's just start at the beginning. Yeah. Personality. Okay. That's like just this catchy phrase that everyone talks about personality and there's all these different tests for personality type and you could be a lion number two (laughs) blue. uh, I'm trying to think like ESFP. Like there's all these different labels we can wear around personality. Like, like what, what really is this personality thing? What are we really talking about here? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think it's, it's, I think it's really hard to define in some ways. It's a word we use all the time in our culture. You know, when they say, oh, that person has a fun personality or a perfectionistic personality. Like we use that and we sort of know what each other means. But like when you really start to dive into what that means, I think it's really tough. I'm not a not a PhD in personality or anything like that. You know, um, I've, I've done some thinking around this topic. I have some good friends who are sort of leaders in the field of one of the personality tests and things like that. But I think it's really hard to, to nail it down to say, this is what personality is. I'm, I'm guessing there are PhD students out there who have studied it and probably have tried to define it. But I think um, from where I come from, I think personality really is a combination of um, kind of temperament that we're born with. So we can think about genetics. Like I was just with my parents this past weekend. And not only do I like see myself in my dad as I get older, like my like my facial features and stuff like that. Um, but I also see myself in my mom in like how she responds to certain things. Right. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, some of that happened because I was raised by them. And some of that I think is genetic. Like we're just born wired certain ways. And so that's part of personality, the genetics, my family of origin, my experiences growing up, that's part of personality. Right. And then the experiences I have after or outside of home. Right. So experiences I might have in grade school, or I moved a lot as a kid, I was a military kid that shaped my personality. It, it made me on one hand adaptable, mm-hmm. right? I had to learn quickly. It also made me um, vulnerable to, in my case, I think people pleasing because I, I was always trying to figure out to fit in. So that's personality. So there's a lot of pieces, you know, and then scripture talks about God remaking us, right? And we're new creatures. And so now I have this new source of life and energy coming in that's remaking me. I, I read recently about um, in, the, in uh, the Old Testament, it talks about God will take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Paul David Tripp was the author I was reading. And he he basically says what that means is you have a heart that goes from unchangeable, you can't, a heart of stone, you can't change it to a heart of flesh, which is one that can be molded and changes. And so we're always changing. So that's personality. So it's a big topic. You know, and so I think about it largely in the ways of story, um, you know, and and temperament and genetics and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I love that. So it's not nature or nurture. It's no, nature, yeah. nurture, and then for the believer, renewed nature. Yes, <laughs> right. right. All of nature. the above. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, I 
I was always a big fan of all the personality tests. I don't know. That's probably part of my personality is that I wanted to know my personality. And then I remember taking some of the tests and they would be like, and if you hate taking this test right now and don't want to know your personality, (laughs) that means you're this type. And I always thought that was fascinating too. But last- That was me, by the way. That was you? You were that guy? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome. Right. right. That was me. <laughs> you didn't want to, you didn't want to be put in a box. <laughs> I did not like person. It wasn't that I just, I never fit. Cause I, I fit uh, in so many categories, you uh-huh. know, I, which someone will probably say, well, that's this type. So <laughs> well, I don't know. I, so yes, well, I'm an ESTJ or at least I was at age 20 on the Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. And then I took it probably age 30, mid early mid thirties. And I was like an ESTP. And so my PJ had changed. And I don't know. And I was just a big fan of Myers-Briggs. And then I watched a documentary and read the book. And I think you read it to the personality brokers. Mm-hmm. Where I think that was the one I read. I, I'm not sure if that's the one. I know I read one on the Myers Briggs. Where she talks about, like, it uncovers the origins of Myers mm-hmm. and Briggs and talks about their story. And I realized, I'm like, oh my word, this was all basically just made up. I mean, she basically <laughs> just like watched people and created this thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a real wake up call for me in a way. Because just like, like Enneagram, I know people have strong feelings both ways on the Enneagram and there's all kinds of stories circulating about the origins of the Enneagram. But when I read that about Myers-Briggs, I was like, oh my goodness, it's the same. Like all of, all of these devices to figure out our personalities were made by a fallible human being and may be used for evil but they may also be used for good. And so I just want to put that out there as a blanket disclaimer. If you hear language and it's like, Ooh, that sounds like that personality test as you're listening today, like friend, no, we, we can use things that have been made by man to help us, but we always have to take it back to scripture. We always have to root it and ground it in God's truth, not the truth of what some woman came up with about putting people into categorizations, right? So, but Travis, as you think about personalities, you like to go beyond just traits and behaviors to something called the core needs of the heart. What's really motivating those traits and behaviors. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's great. And I, I think my, the way I think about tests and stuff is similar. I think what we can do as people even even people who aren't Christians can observe the world and and say, I see some patterns here, right? Mm-hmm. And these patterns make sense and they can be helpful to us if we understand our patterns, okay. right? And so those that falls into not only um, personality tests, but that falls into other areas of life. There's all kinds of various lives where we categorize things and, and we're doing the best we can. And so I agree with you that they can be helpful. And you also need to have a foundation of scripture that supersedes any of the beliefs of the personality test. So, but yeah, I think for me, where I have been most drawn, and even when I do dive into some of those persons, because I've taken over the years, many, many different personality tests. What most fascinates me is when they, when a test like that or some sort of book or something points me to what is going on in my heart. Mm -hmm. What is the longing of my heart? And then how is that then expressed through my personality? Right. And how does that play out in behavior? And and I think that's largely how I think about 
um, clients that I work with is, okay, we, if we're just talking about the behavior, we're not really touching the issues that need to change, right? And so we need to look at what's the function of the behavior. Um, in other words, what is driving the behavior? What is the longing and things like that? So um, one resource that I've shared with you that um, we can talk about here briefly is um, there was a book by Mark and Debbie, uh, Mark and Debbie Laser. Um, L-A-A-S-E-R, and it's called Seven Desires of the Heart. And Mark uh, was a a therapist who worked in the field of addiction. And this was seven categories they came up with, he and his wife, as they worked with clients. Mm -hmm. So he was in recovery himself, but then as they worked with clients, they begin to see it. And again, there's another example of somebody trying to create a categories. Sure. Because it's helpful. It's helpful. Um, These aren't like you know, inspired by God categories. They're just somebody's best efforts. Um, And so we can talk through those. I can share those seven categories with you, I think, um, as a foundation for our personalities. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. And as you're sharing them, any way you can connect that to how you would maybe see that core need of the heart, like present itself with like ED behaviors or Sure. You know, body image issues. I'd I'd love, I'd love to have that connection as well, if you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the first one that, that they identified is the need to be heard and understood. Right. And that one, that one doesn't take a lot of explaining. I don't think, I think we all sort of get that one. Like I want to be heard Mm -hmm. and I want to be understood, or I want somebody, even if they don't fully understand my experience to do the best they can to understand Mm -hmm. my experience, to ask questions and, and try to see things from my perspective. That's so critical in marriages and working relationships and parenting and things like that. Um, So we have this deep longing uh, to be heard and understood. Um, And that I think is so critical, especially in clients that I have worked with um, in treatment for eating disorders, um, but outpatient as well. But one of the things that's so helpful when they come to a therapist is that somebody will hear and understand Mm -hmm. and not be like shocked by what what they're, you know, Mm -hmm. the secrets that they're sharing or the shame that they're carrying. Um, And so just that, that's such a part of healing. That's why I think group work is really helpful. Mm -hmm whether that's small groups in a church or small group of friends or a, or a therapy group is that you get this sense of being heard and understood. Mm, right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. So let me, that's yeah. Go ahead. Let me, let me jump in. Cause it's, it just made me think of, I shared some things in compared to who my first book that I was, you know, would have been, I, I probably couldn't have told you face to face, you know, mm-hmm. were behaviors of mine, but somehow in the anonymity of <laughs> writing a book, I shared some things. One of them right. being that I used to hide candy wrappers in the bottom or any, any quote unquote junk food wrappers. I would put that in the bottom of the trash. I would pick up whatever trash was there mm-hmm. and I would put mm-hmm. that underneath. And from the heard and understood standpoint, I have had more people write me about that one, you know, little story in the book than anything else. More people yeah. have reached out because they finally felt understood because someone had the same, I don't know if you call that a pathology, but the yeah. same issue they did. So, yeah. so that, that, that resonates. Well, and that ties into, I mean, core to so many of our compulsive issues is shame. Mm, right. Yeah. And so you're feeling shame. And so the, there's only really, in my opinion, I'm not a shame researcher like Brene Brown or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. But from what I would understand, both personally and professionally, the only way shame gets healed is when you 
you share something in the context of safe community mm-hmm. and you find out you're still accepted. You cannot heal shame by yourself. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Shame is a relational concept. Mm-hmm. So, so we've really got to, um, that's such a big part of that. That's so good. you helped people with their shame, yeah. you know, by st- sharing something that you felt shame about. So, yeah. so that's number one, heard and understood. Okay. okay go ahead. Um, this, the second one is to be affirmed. Mm-hmm. So we really need affirmation. So this one's easy to sort of tie into an eating disorder behavior, right? Mm-hmm. It, what's fascinating is, you know, people ask me what I, what I do and, um, I have a little different role right now, but I still talk a lot about eating disorders. And whenever the topic comes up in sort of a, you know, meet someone on an airplane or, or in a conversation like that, the word control usually comes up. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't anorexia about control? It's, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that. And mm-hmm. certainly there's elements of that in anorexic behavior, restrictive behavior. So let's, let's say someone listening to your podcast isn't, they aren't, uh, diagnosed with anorexia, but they might use restrictive behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea of control, I don't, I don't think that's that's not, in my experience is not as powerful as what I'm about to tell you. Mm-hmm. If I were to ask many, many clients about if you followed all of the restrictive thoughts in your head during the day, at the end of the day, how would you feel? And the the most common answer I have heard is um, accomplished. Mm-hmm which is very close to affirmed. Mm-hmm. I'm good at something. I feel mm-hmm. like I've done something right. I feel like I'm good at dieting or good at losing weight or good at controlling my diet. We long to be good at something. Mm-hmm. And then we long to be told when we've done a good job. Yeah. So I think it's so important to affirm people in healthy ways. Not like, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the mom who tells the American Idol contestant they're a great singer when they're not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, We don't need false affirmation. Affirmation. Yeah, yeah. We need genuine affirmation. Hey, yeah. you know, you're good at writing or you're, you're, yeah. you're a good communicator or, you know, that type of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because it's on, it's an identity issue, right? I mean, I think, it's, it's I think absolutely. And, and I know from my eating disorder past, I mean, that was, I was the gym girl. Like that was mm-hmm. a big part of my identity. Mm-hmm. My identity right. was I ate a certain way and I worked out a certain number of days a week and that's what I wanted affirmation for. I don't know if affirmation is my core need, but I can definitely see the connection there. It is a core need is what Mm -hmm. I would say. I I think it's a core need. So, and that's very similar to the third one, which is blessing. Mm -hmm. All right. So blessing is a word that we tend to use in Christian circles. Um, I'm going to use another word that I think helps explain it. And that is enjoyed that we Mm -hmm. feel enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there is, there is a, a blessing that I can give you when I speak my enjoyment over you, mm-hmm. right? So a great way to illustrate this that I've used for a long time is my son loves basketball, right? And so if I were to go watch him play a basketball game and he, at the end of the game, and he came off the court and I said, man, you did a great job. You passed the ball well. You played good defense. You were a good communicator. I saw you, um, you know, rebound hard. Those are all affirmation, right? And, mm-hmm. and we need that. That's one of the ways we learn what we're good at, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If he and if he walked off the court in the end of the game and I said regardless of his performance I said I love watching you play basketball. Mm. That's blessing. Yeah. Right? Two different both yeah. needed two different experiences. Yeah. One says here's what you're good at and and you know well done and one says gosh I don't care how well you did I just love being with you. Yeah. Right. So we need both of those. And so I think we long for sometimes when we're working for affirmation, what we really long for is blessing. 
Yes. You know, I, so our, our mutual friend, Ken Quinn at the Center for yes. Biblical Counseling yeah. <laughs> in Dallas, uh, we had, we had some connections in common when we met. Uh, Ken used to say it like this, you want to be delighted in. Mm-hmm. That was yep. the way he phrased it. And Absolutely. the distinction, especially in marriage, I think the distinction is to, to your basketball example, the distinction in marriage would be, oh, you're beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. you look nice. You look good. Or I delight in you. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love being with you. And so that, yeah, that, that, that yeah. resonates. Yeah. What's the next one, Travis? All right. So the next one would be to be safe. So we have a longing for physical safety, financial safety, emotional safety, all the kinds of the safeties that you can think of. And I think this may be the biggest one. If I had to only pick one of these seven, um, safety would probably be the one that I think drives most behaviors, mm-hmm. right? So what does that look like? So, so the person who restricts because they want to feel accomplished, well, the accomplishment in some ways is about feeling safe. If I accomplish enough, I'm safe. If I earn enough money, I'm safe. If I get good enough grades, I'm safe. I'm safe in relationships. People will choose me. I'm safe in my ability to pay rent, right? All those kinds of things. Um, a, a mentor of mine has said, perfectionism is never about being perfect. It's about feeling safe, mm. right? So it's underneath so many things, right? And so I, it's just, it's almost like a super category of its own, Um, but so let's say, let's say we've talked a little bit about restricting behaviors. Let's talk about binging behaviors, right. Or overeating. Well, so let's say you have a bad day at work, right. And you feel shame or fear. You know, your boss came in and said something like, I can't believe you did that. You screwed up, you know, and you, and so you, now you feel afraid you might lose your job and you feel shame for the mistake you made. Right. What do you need to do? Well, you need to feel safe. Mm -hmm. There's a couple different ways you can do that. Some people are going to go to the gym and work out, Mm -hmm. right? And they're going to, or they're going to stay late. They're going to work four more hours at the Mm -hmm. office, right? Because I'm going to earn my position. So that, but what's driving them is this sense of feeling afraid Mm -hmm. and shameful. I'm going to show that I'm a good employee and I'm going to earn my position. That's one way to do it. Another way to feel safe is to check out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go and I'm going to order my favorite food and I'm going to sit down in front of my favorite TV show and I'm going to binge Netflix and ice cream. Mm-hmm. And it's in that sense, you're distancing yourself from the fear and the emotion. You're mm-hmm. sort of shutting it off and going, I'm not going to feel right. Yeah. There, both, both sides are about dealing with that anxiety and fear and shame inside and creating a sense of safety. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, that's why they're called comfort foods, right? Right. <laughs> they're comforting right. us when we don't feel safe. Uh, right. Yeah. It, this is definitely a big one for me. And, and as I think about it, I think I believed in my eating disorder behavior, obsessive exercising behavior. I believed I could keep myself safe from negative opinions of other people. That mm-hmm. was, I think, how it it played out for me that I, well, and even the negative opinions of myself, right? Maybe I would right. be safe from my own condemnation of myself yep. if I could just follow all the rules and, you know, get the body that I thought would make me safe. So that, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really big one. Yeah. It can be safe from the judgment of others. It can be safe mm-hmm. from 
um, the sexual advances of others. Mm. There's all kinds of ways that it could play out, you know, yeah. um, is I'm going to change my body so that I experience a sense of safety, acceptance or isolation or, or whatever. So I think that's a really important one for people to sort of dive into is yeah. how might my behavior be an effort to keep myself safe? Right. Right. And, and the reality, I mean, you know, I've written about this, but just making that, that cognitive recognition that the way I eat or the way I exercise can't actually keep me safe. Right. I mean, that's a a hard thing to swallow. As I talk to coaching clients, you're like, Oh, but I'd rather believe it can. (laughs) Right. Or safe. And what's true. Or, you know, there's all different ways. Yeah, go ahead. Right, right. I'm safe from fat or I'm safe from toxic foods or unclean foods or whatever. But in the end, it's there's I think there's one thing we have to come to grips with. We live in an unsafe world and you mm-hmm. cannot fully be safe. Right. And we, especially as Americans, Westerners, it's hard for us to accept that. But the reality is, is it's an unpredictable. We've, if we don't know that after a pandemic, <laughs> we, yeah. we weren't paying attention, right. but there, you know, there is an unsafe world out there. And so ultimately we have to trust God with ourselves in an unsafe world. Right. And that's a whole nother podcast episode, yeah. but, um, yeah. but yeah, that's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah that's so good. that's good. The next one. Yep. So the next one would be touch healthy, physical touch. And so this would be you know, appropriate, healthy touch in the context of relationships. So friendships, you know, handshakes and hugs and, um, you know, then closer relationships, snuggles, and and then, you know, appropriate sexual intimacy. Those are all needs that we have. And so those drive a lot of our behaviors. Now, sometimes what that might look like is if somebody thinks I'm too fat, nobody wants to touch me, I'm going to mm-hmm. try to lose weight so that I get that touch, right? Mm-hmm. That might be driving a behavior. And that is rooted in our cultural belief that only people who look a certain way deserve to be touched or mm-hmm. are touchable. Right. Mm-hmm. And so both, both men and women believe that mm-hmm. about particularly women's bodies. We have, our cultures is, you know, obsessed with thinking about that. I've been affected by that as a man. And, and I know, you know, the women I talked to, I was surprised when I first started working with an eating disorders is how much women thought about their own bodies. I, you know, I knew men struggled thinking about women's uh-huh. bodies. I had, I had, I hadn't, flipped it around and realized how much comparison and, and mm-hmm. self-hatred that was, but that might be driven by a desire for touch, you know, mm-hmm. to be chosen and all those kinds of things. And yeah. so that's a big one. It's also important when I, whenever I mention this one, it, it just triggers in my memory that all of these needs are legitimate, but they can all be manipulated. So mm-hmm. certainly touch can be manipulated or abusive, right? Mm-hmm. Um but so can being heard and understood. You might have someone who hears you and understands you, but then gossips about you or manipulates you with what they heard and understood. So all of these can be done. So, you know, we long for these to be met in healthy ways. Mm, So so that one's touch. That's good. What's the next one? Okay. The next one would be to be chosen, right? And so this is the idea that someone's going to pick me to be a friend, a Mm. teammate, an employee, a spouse, you know, a partner of some sort, that's, there's just such a longing. God made us for relationship. God existed in relationship as a Trinity before the creation of the world. Mm -hmm. 
And that is a core expression of who God is and then who we are because we are made in the image of God. So we long for relationship and relationship happens when someone says, Hey, I choose to spend time with you. Mm -hmm. You know, do you want to grab coffee together? Mm -hmm. Right. Or, you know, would you marry me? Those are just expressions, different, mm -hmm. you know, parts of the continuum of choosing yeah. someone. And so that's such a longing for us. And again, that can tie into body image, mm -hmm. right? Um, it can tie into how we eat. It can, you know, it, what's fascinating is when you are around people very long, you, the issue of food will come up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so sometimes we say, you know, well, I went on a diet because we long to be chosen. Like we long to fit into the group, right. right. Or for someone to pick us. Right. So that that's a close one. And I'm going to just tie it into the last one, which is to be included because these, okay. these two are very close. Yeah. Included is I'm a part of a community. I'm part mm -hmm. of a group. So it might be, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. I live in St. Louis, right? So I'm, I'm a Cardinals fan. That's a, I belong to that group. I'm included. But of course, it's more powerful than that. It's like, I'm a part of this family. I'm a part of this church. Mm -hmm. And so we long to be included. And so again, we might we might hop on the latest diet craze because our friends are doing it. Right, right. Right. Um, or we want to fit in the newest, you know, style of Lululemon pants. And so <laughs> we don't right. want to be left out, but we got to change our bodies to, to fit into a certain thing. So right. you can see how all of those core needs, core longings are driving um, behaviors. Yeah. So that's why I think it's so important to look beyond personality and beyond behaviors to what's, what's going on underneath. Yeah. What is the legitimate need? I remember when I was a counseling student, professor Richard Winner always talked about what's the legitimate need underneath the illegitimate mm. behavior. Mm. That's good. Cause there's always something, there's always something there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Does that, is that helpful? Yeah, that's, that's really good. Through? I'm, I'm thinking about chosen in a couple ways. I'm thinking about, so some listeners going to be able to relate to this. I wonder how many people with eating disorders and body image issues have the same story from elementary school. I wasn't chosen last for kickball team in elementary mm -hmm. school, but I was always second to last. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, so, I, I mean, and that, you know, how many years ago I'm in my mid forties now, maybe I have to say late forties. Ooh, I don't like saying that, but <laughs> you know, it's how many decades ago that was and still yes. vividly remember being on that line, <laughs> waiting, hoping, you know, team one or team two was going to choose me. So I wouldn't be standing there all by myself. So that, right. that makes sense to me. Also thinking about being chosen so I didn't meet my husband until we were 30. So we got married at 31 years old, but I remember believing that being chosen by a man that getting engaged, getting mm -hmm. married would fix all these behaviors for me. I thought right. it would all right. just poof, go away. I'd wake up in the morning after my wedding and yay, I feel good now. I don't have to worry about food and body issues anymore. And that was That's a tragic right. disappointment for me. <laughs> after. I, mean, I was really mad at my husband for a while because I thought he must right. just not be doing it right. Must not be a good right. husband because he was supposed to make all that go away. So, so that one is very real as well. And then included, yeah, that that's an interesting motivation, right? Because especially in our diet culture, as you know, Travis, right? Like that 
like if you're the one person eating whatever the demonized food of the the decade or the year is, like you are excluded. Everyone's mm-hmm. looking down their noses at you, like really, you're eating carbohydrates? What? <laughs> you know, right? So, so right. that that I would see as a big barrier to someone's freedom if inclusion is is the desire of the heart in a and that you know gets stuck there. Go ahead. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, and what's interesting is that. Um, In our Christian culture, you know, when we read the New Testament, we often become very disappointed or judgmental of the Pharisees because the Pharisees had so much self-righteousness, right? They had this list of behaviors that if you did it, you were included, you're in the in-group, and if you don't do it, you're not in the in-group, and Jesus confronted them. And so we can read it and go, gosh, those Pharisees were horrible, right? Mm -hmm. But, But I think what's happening in our culture right now, both inside and outside the church, is there's many ways in which our, our culture is becoming more and more self-righteous. Mm-hmm. And now it doesn't look like typical self-righteousness mm-hmm. where, you know, it's like a Christian self-righteousness, right? But it's a, if you didn't vote the same way as me, then I'm judging you. Or mm-hmm. if you're not doing, if you're eating gluten or if you're eating, you know, fill in the blank on a certain food, like there is a lot of self-righteousness mm-hmm. that goes into our cultural dialogues and Mm -hmm. and relationships and things like that. And so, and then it results in people feeling excluded or, or things like that. So, yeah. And I think what's interesting about the chosen one too, is it has a dark side or as a flip side. So um, I was, I was a fairly athletic kid, so I never experienced getting picked last. Right. Um, I I don't know that I was the first one picked, but I, you know, I was (laughs) athletic enough to be, you know, at least in the middle of the pack and things like that. But, but what I, what I know is true is that sometimes getting chosen for a, for an ability um, or even your looks is, is unsatisfying too. Mm -hmm. So two stories stand out to me um, briefly that I'll share. One is for a while I, I worked, there's a ministry called models for Christ and it's a Christian outreach into the fashion industry guy named Jeff Kallenberg and his wife. I apologize. can't remember her first name right now, but I talked to Jeff once and, and and I was interacting with them because kind of doing eating disorder things. And he, he told me once he said, um, models are some of the most insecure people I've ever met. And he was a model. He had he had modeled himself. He said, because they're constantly told you're too tall, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too thin, you're too blonde, you're too brunette. And they're constantly being rejected. And we have this image of models must have great self-image, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. That's not what he told me. Yeah. And that came home to me more. I had a client, uh, she was probably seven, 16 or 17 at the time and um, strikingly beautiful young woman. And um, she came to treatment and I, I won't ever forget this. It was our first session. We were sitting outside. It was a beautiful day. We were on the porch in the treatment center and I was getting to know her story. And um, not too long into the story, she said, my whole life I've been told I'm beautiful. But she said, but nobody ever wanted to know me. Mm. Like they just wanted to relate to the beautiful me. And so what happens is we sometimes think the person who gets chosen first is happy, Mm -hmm. but often they go, I'm only chosen because I'm a good athlete. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to know me as a friend. Yeah. Right. And so then that all gets twisted. So we buy these lies that will be chosen. And like, if I get married, everything's going to be great. And it just doesn't play out. Yeah. I mean, I did a series last spring with different models 
And Mm. one of them was a runway model. And she talked about how before the show, they basically had to line up essentially naked and have five or six people walk up and down the path, (laughs) kind of eyeing them up and down and, Mm -hmm. you know, turning their nose up and, mm, you know, pinching inches, that kind of thing. And the scrutiny that, Mm. that they were under. So yeah, I, I completely know those stories too. And, and, you know, I guess that goes back to identity too, doesn't it, Travis? It's yeah, if yeah. our identity is wrapped into our athletic ability, if our identity is wrapped into the way we look like that, you know, it's so fragile. <laughs> right? Well, and I think one of the ways I've started thinking about it recently is that we have confused performance categories with relational categories. And what I mean is um, if you're thin enough or you're smart enough and you get chosen for that, that's a performance thing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's something you perform. Relational categories come out of um, relational bonds. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you know, I will die for my kids and that has nothing to do with their performance. Mm -hmm. Like even if they're, you know, rude to me, I mean, I'll lay down my life for them. Right. That's a relational bond. And that's how God relates to us. He doesn't relate to us on performance. So we've got to be careful. We don't confuse relationship with performance. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I'll, have you read the book Quiet by Susan Cain about introverts? No, uh, That's a great no. book. Oh, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah. She, she talks about, and I'm going to do a whole show on this, probably close to this episode airing will be this other episode airing. But as I read it, I was just thinking about the different ways that we try to manage our body size or body shape, right? But we also try to manage our quote unquote personality. We try to manage yeah. our image. And she, she talks about the transformation from a culture that valued people who were honest and people mm-hmm. who were hardworking to a culture that valued people who were magnetic and extroverted. <laughs> and right. The, right. and it's, so it's a, it, the book is really about introversion, but she does a great job of looking into like how we became a culture that basically idolizes the great looking extrovert um, and, right. and the different ways that's impacted us as a society. So it's pretty interesting. Mm. I'll Travis, have to check that out. Yeah, this, this has been super helpful. Um, you're going to come back in the next episode and we're going to yep. talk about, I don't, how would you capture it? It's a practical way to what? Give, give me... <laughs> Give, give yeah, me a teaser for the next a, show. It's a framework of how to think about continuing what we're talking about. How do I think about my behaviors and why do I do what I do and how do we heal those um, and how do we grow from those? So for me, it's it's sort of a personality structure in a sense, but um, uh, it's a way that I also think about therapy and coaching um, that I use with my clients. And so it it's not as broad as a uh, theory of counseling, but it's moving in that direction kind of thing. Awesome. 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 I can't wait. Okay. So you're going to have to come back and listen to the next episode and we'll talk about Travis's structure theory, <laughs> whatever word you want to put on it. So come back for that show. Travis, thanks for being on this episode oh, this and, is um, great. and we'll continue our conversation in the next one. Thank you.
Oh, hey there. Before you go, if something from today's show blessed you, may I ask a huge favor? Leave a review on your favorite platform. Seeing your five-star reviews is a huge encouragement to me. Not sure how to do it? You can go to compare to who.me slash podcast, scroll to the bottom, and you'll find all the information. And while you're at compare to who.me, check out some of the more than 500 articles on there about body image, comparison, all the things you're thinking about. Plus, you can find out more about my books, or you can grab a time for a free 10-minute call to see if coaching is right for you. I'm so honored to be a part of your journey out of body image and comparison frustration. And I can't wait to hear how God is working to set you free. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.